Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good, good. As Pastor Mike said, my name is Ryan. Uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, a lot of new faces since we opened the two campuses, but uh, I have the privilege and honor of being our Connections Pastor here at the church and also help oversee our Pennsburg campus. And let me just say, God has been doing some great things in Pennsburg, as I know he's been doing here as well. It's been really, really neat as we've opened down there to see how God has just brought so many new families and, and, com- and people from the community into that campus. Um, Every single week, though, that the great part is, and, and I know it's happening here as well, but every single week, there's people that are responding to the gospel, and that w- is what makes everything we do worth it. Yeah, we can clap for that. That's exciting, and, and I know people here have been responding to the gospel as well, and so I just want to encourage you. Uh, number one, I want to say thank you for your sacrifice, because anytime you, you split, right, you, you, you split in order to build, that's difficult. It's difficult when you know there's maybe some of your friends and family who are maybe from down in that area that you don't see as often, uh, but there's a sacrifice involved in seeing God's kingdom be built, and, and that sacrifice that we're making is worth it. And so I want to encourage you, uh, continue to serve, continue to give, continue to invest here because it's, God is doing something great here in Quakertown, as well as doing something great down in Pennsburg, and we get to be a part of it, right? We, we, we have the honor. I think it's not like we have to do this. We get to do this. God has, has saved us and he has invited us in to his mission field and we get to be a part of that. And so I want to encourage you, if you're new, or there's a lot of new faces here as well, if you're new, sign up for All In, find out what we're about and understand this, we, we, don't, we don't do this on our own, we get to do this together, right? We get to do, everybody has a part to play and so we'd love to, to help you get connected, help you figure out what your part is and, be, and, and, and invite you into being a part of what God is doing here in Quakertown and in, in Pennsburg. We're in week two of a sermon series going through the book of Philippians that we're calling Joy in the Midst of Anything, which I think is a really, really timely message for the year 2020. Come on, how many of you would be honest and say, you need some, the, 2020 has been a tough year. They're going to use 2020 years from now to be an adjective to explain when bad things happen, Right? Like if your car breaks down, you're like, what happened to your car? I'm like, I don't know, it's pulled to 2020, right? It's just gonna, it's gonna happen. Or when, you, when you're in school and you do a test, you're like, I don't know if I did well enough. I think I 2020 that test. It's gonna happen, I'm telling you. You're gonna use this, this year to explain, how, how's your week been? Man, it's been a real 2020 of a week, if you know what I'm talking about, right? Like it's going to be an adjective that we use to explain. Like, and, and to be honest, man, 2020 has been a tough year. It's been very, very difficult for for many of us. It's been one of the most challenging years that probably many of us have ever experienced in our lives. And so I don't know about you, but I think this is timely because we need to experience that joy in the midst of anything. We need to have uh, that joy that, that isn't based on our circumstances or on how great everything is going in our lives. We need a joy that we can experience no matter what is surrounding us and what is happening in life. And that's what this sermon series is all about. The problem, though, for many of us, the reason we struggle when it comes to experiencing this type of joy is we have an if-then mentality when it comes to experiencing joy and, and going through life. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? We have an if-then mentality. If this happens, then this will be my response. If my kids would just listen and they would just pay attention to their online schooling and they wouldn't ask me for snacks 400 times a day, then then I would be in a better mood, then I wouldn't lose my patience, then I wouldn't have to get angry. Come on, how many of you have said any of those things? If this happens, then this will be my response. Or how about this? If, if I have enough money in my bank account, 
And if I have enough to, to pay my bills, and maybe I have enough extra to kind of go on a date or go on a vacation, then I'll learn to be content with my finances. Then I'll be generous. If this works out this way, and if I have enough, then I'll respond in this way. Or, or if I get that promotion at work that I deserve, you know, then I'll be content. Then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll stop complaining about my job, right? We have an if-then mentality, and we bring that same mentality into experiencing joy. If these things go right in my life, and I don't deal with any, any disruptions, I don't deal with any bad things going on in my life, then I'll walk in joy, I'll experience joy, and things will be good in my life. But the truth is, there are always going to be things that we experience in life that are what we'll call joy killers. Or maybe we'll just say they're joy suckers. Because they literally suck the joy out of your life. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? There's things in our lives that we constantly deal with that are trying to rob our joy. Let me give you a couple that you probably experience. Right, number one, people. Right? If it wasn't for those people that you have in your life, it'd be so much easier to experience joy. Right? If it wasn't for that annoying coworker, right, that just every single day is just so annoying. If you don't have an annoying coworker, guess what? You're the annoying coworker. Everybody's saying this and feeling this about you. If it wasn't for that annoying coworker, if my boss, if he, if he understood and saw my potential, right, if he, if he saw what I'm capable of and he would promote me, then, then I would feel better. I'd have more joy in my, in my life. That person on the road in front of you, if they just knew how to drive as good as you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Everything's going good, you leave church, you're in a good mood, you're worshiping Jesus, somebody pulls out in front of you, you lose your Christianity. <laughs> Some of you have been there. It's so easy for the joy to be, or how about that person at the, the self-checkout line that should be at a regular register because they don't know how to operate it and they're slower than the actual people working there and you stand behind them and you are like, do you need my assistance? Right, because people that we deal with in our life, it's, it's easy for people to kind of rob us and steal the joy that we have. Or how about this one? How about pressure? We deal with pressures in our lives. Pressures come in all different ways, both internal pressures and external pressures that we deal with in life that have this way of, of robbing our joy, right? It could be the internal pressure of the expectations that we put on ourselves, the expectations that we have for our own lives. And we, we have all these expectations that we often aren't able to meet, and so it robs us of our joy, or it could be external pressures. External pressures like that deadline at work that you've been kind of procrastinating on, or that deadline in school that, you've, that you see coming, and, and you're like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to get the test done, or I'm not going to have the report done by that point. Or the pressure at the end of the month when you have to pay the bills, and you weren't really smart with your finances the rest of the month. And you were enjoying life. I mean, you had some joy in your life the rest of the month, right? Because you were living it up and you were spending money on things you didn't need. But all of a sudden, you have the pressure. Pay the bills at the end of the month. Pressure is a, is a thing in our lives that can steal our joy. How about this one? Not only pain, or not only pressure in people, but pain in problems. Come on, how many of you would say in your life that it, it always seems that when things are going good and you're experiencing some joy, there's always an opportunity for, for there to be something painful that happens in that moment? You get that, that bad report from the doctor. You find out that you, you've lost somebody you, you love. You know, pain and, and problems are completely unavoidable in life. And if your joy is based on your ability to not have any pain or problems, 
You're never going to have any joy in your life because pain and problems are just a, a natural part of life. Things are going good and you, you get that, that check engine light on your car, that new appliance in your, your house breaks that you weren't expecting. Come on, how many, of you, how many of you know that those pain and those problems have the ability to, to steal our joy if we allow them to? I'll give you a case in point. I, I'm not going to share the full extent of this story. I shared it down at Pennsburg, but a little bit earlier this summer, a couple weeks, or a week, probably a week and a half before we were about to go on vacation down to Myrtle Beach, we were driving from a friend's house out in like the Trexler Town area on Route 78, right where 22 and 78 kind of split. And as we were driving home from there, the, the, the check engine light came on in our minivan. So it was my wife and I and our four kids in the minivan. And all of a sudden, the check engine light comes on, the car starts overheating, and we break down right on the side of the road. So the air conditioning, nothing's working. Something blew on the bottom of the, I don't even know what happened because I don't know anything about cars, but it was broke, okay? I had to call and get towed. I had to get, both of my, my, my in-laws had to come up. My wife's, both her mom and dad had to come with their cars to pick us up because we have such a large family and nobody has a, a bus, right? And so they had to come pick us up in two cars. We get towed and, and I'm trying to be positive. You know, how many of you have been in a moment like that and you want to be negative, but you're trying to be positive. And so in my mind, I'm going, you know what? God, you allowed this to happen before we went on vacation. Because normally we drive through the night when we go down to Myrtle Beach, and, and so in my mind I'm thinking, well, this could have been at you know, one o'clock in the morning in the middle of nowhere, and we would have like, been stranded on the side of 95. So thank you, Lord, for allowing this to happen now, before we went on vacation. Week and a half later, we're on vacation, two hours into the trip, check engine light comes on again. I'm driving to the nearest Pep Boys because it was a battery light that came on. I don't know what that means, but I know I need to get a check. So I'm driving, I don't, I'm in Maryland somewhere, and I'm driving along to there. And as I'm driving and getting closer to the, the Pep Boys, the car is getting weaker and weaker. I am literally 0.5 miles from Pep Boys, and it dies again right in the middle of the road. This time we are two hours away. I thought, well, God, I thought that it was happening before, so it didn't happen now. And now it's happening again, and we were stranded all day as we paid $1,000 to get our, our car fixed in that moment. Can I tell you, there's problems and things that happen in our lives that are just a natural part of our lives that if we're not careful, can easily steal and rob our joy. And the reality is there's always gonna be things that we deal with. There's nobody in this room that, that is immune to the pain and the problems and the people and the, the pressure that we deal with in life that'll try to steal our joy. In fact, the portion of Philippians we're gonna look at this morning uh, is, is full of these type of pain and problems and pressures. In fact, every single one of these we just talked about are things that the Apostle Paul is dealing with in this portion of Scripture. And it's not just this portion of Scripture. These are things that the Apostle Paul dealt with all throughout his life. They were a consistent part of his life. You know, Pastor Mike talked a little bit about the Apostle Paul last week, but as he mentioned, the Apostle Paul wasn't always this amazing, godly, you know, evangelist in the church. Before he was that, he was a destroyer of the church, a persecutor of the church. He hated the church. I mean, he was literally one of the, the, the biggest people trying to end the movement of God, to completely destroy it. And God had to get a hold of his life in a dramatic way. And we hear about this and we read about this on the road to Damascus, I believe in Acts chapter nine. Um, he's on his way to, to put away the church, to put them in prison, to, to attack them. And as he's driving, uh, riding on his horse, right, driving on his horse, I guess that's possible. As he's going on his horse to, to Damascus to arrest these Christians, God literally knocks him off his horse, blinds him, and radically transforms his life. And he goes from in that moment 
being a persecutor of the church to one of the greatest spreaders of the gospel of Jesus Christ, all in that moment. You would have thought that when he turned his life over to Jesus, that his life would have got easier, right? You think of being persecuted when he was living against and in opposition to the church would have been normal. That would have been the time that he should have been, been opposed and dealt with persecution and trials. But after he started following Jesus, his life didn't get easier. It got so much harder. And he gives us a little bit of a glimpse in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 into some of the things he had dealt with. Check this out in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 through 28. He says, are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and he's not talking about the good way, all right? Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I face danger in the cities, in the desert, and on the seas. I face danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all of this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. You know, his life, it was full of opposition. Here I am complaining about my car breaking down twice. And his life was... I mean, he was, he was beaten and whipped, put in prison numerous times, shipwrecked numerous times. I mean, talk about things that if we would allow them to, could steal our joy. Come on, it doesn't take much for my joy to be stolen from my life, if I'm honest with you. There's a lot of work that is, that is needing to continue to go on in my life. And here is Paul dealing with all of those things, and he's able to write about having joy. In fact, even the book of Philippians, as we mentioned last week, a book that is full of instructions on how to be joy and challenges on living joyous is written while he's in prison. And he's in prison not for breaking the law, not for, for murdering somebody, not for doing something. He's in prison simply because he's preaching the gospel. And he's going to show us in this portion of scripture this morning how we can push through all of these joy killers, these things in our lives that often rob us of joy, and how we can experience and unstoppable. Come on, how many of you would say you need to experience and you want to experience an unstoppable joy this morning? No matter what's going on in your life, you want to know how to have joy in those moments. We're going to see it here in Philippians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to verse 12. We're going to be in verse 12 through 26. It says this, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. They preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition not sincere, sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, because I know that this will lead to my salvation. Through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that 
now as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by death or life. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now I will live on in the flesh. This means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose, for I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and the joy of the faith. So that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Let's pray this morning. We're going to break this down a little bit. Heavenly Father, we just invite you into this place right now. Lord, I pray that as we look at this scripture more deeply today, Lord, that you would do a work in our lives. Lord, you would show us areas where we are falling short, show us areas where we are, are settling for less than your best, show us areas where we are allowing our joy to be stolen and robbed from our lives that you want us to experience. And God, I pray that right now you would work in the ways that only you can work. I pray, God, that, that these words would be your words and not just my words, God, that your Holy Spirit would work in every single one of our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we break down this verse, we're going to look at a few ways that we can experience unstoppable joy. And so if you're, you're taking notes, the first thing I think we can see in this portion of Scripture when it comes to experiencing an unstoppable joy is we need to learn to look at our problems from God's perspective. We need to look at our problems from God's perspective. The very first verse, verse 12, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. Right away, he wants to assure the people that he is speaking to that what he's going through has actually advanced, it's making a difference, it's advancing the, the gospel. He's in prison. Most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, our response to that wouldn't be, hey, things are okay. Our response would be, why? Why are you allowing this to happen, God? Why? I was preaching. I'm living for you. I'm working for you. I'm doing everything you ask. Why are you putting me in prison? Why are you allowing this to happen? But that's not his response or his perspective. Why? Because he's not focused on his own perspective or his own view. He's focused on God's perspective through his problems. What is God's perspective in his problems? And he basically is saying, listen, this situation isn't great. I'm not going to pretend like the situation is great. But this not-so-great situation, God is doing some really great things in this situation. And he goes on to kind of point out some of these things. In verse 13, he says, So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. His joy in the midst of his trial was a witness to the people that were around him, especially, the Bible says, to that imperial guard, the prison guards that were constantly surrounding him. He had what we'll call a captive audience because they were literally chained to him. Sometimes 12 hours at a time, they were chained to him. And he could have been like, you know what, man, I know this stinks. You're stuck with me. This is terrible. We're in prison. He could have been complaining the whole time. Listen, you know I didn't do anything. I was just preaching. I didn't break a law, right? Like, let me out of here. Know what he thought? You know what? I got a really captive audience. They can't get away from me. So I'm just gonna tell them about Jesus. For 12 hours straight, I'm just gonna preach the gospel to them. I'm gonna tell them so they know. They're, they're gonna know without a shadow of a doubt that I'm in prison because of Jesus, because I love Jesus. And listen, I'm not ashamed. I'm just gonna use this to continue to spread the gospel. The next guard would get chained to him, be like, dude, this guy doesn't shut up about Jesus, right? And the next guy's on and chained, and he keeps talking about Jesus. I imagine he slept every once in a while, and the prison guard was like, thank you, finally, right? I want the night shift on this one because he's going to sleep. 
But, the, but never did he stop talking about Jesus. So much so that uh, many of this imperial guard, I, I believe, and scholars believe, actually turned their lives over to Christ because of his witness. Because they saw that even in the midst of this trial, even in the midst of a pretty terrible situation, he never lost hope. He continued to look at God's perspective through the whole thing. And it was a witness to these unbelievers, but it wasn't just a witness to the unbelievers. It was also an encouragement to the believers as well. Because in verse 14, it says, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. So the unbelievers were turning to Christ because of his witness and the believers were being encouraged and built up and challenged because they saw the way Paul responded to his challenging situation. And they were encouraged even more, emboldened even more to continue to preach the gospel because it was a witness to them as well. See, we need to learn to see the bigger picture when it comes to our problems and the trials that we face in lives, in our lives. You know, so many times when it comes to our problems, and maybe this isn't you, but this is definitely me at times, when it comes to our problems, we're so quick to just be like, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me? In other words, we're saying, just get me out of this problem as quick as possible. How many of you, that would be your response? I just want this, I want to learn whatever it is you're trying to teach me. I want to be done with this problem as quick as possible. I want to avoid as much pain and problems in my life. Come on, how many of you, we try to do everything possible to avoid pain and problems and things in our, our lives. And I think there are times when, when we, we have this misconception of what's happening in our lives. Because oftentimes, if we're honest, I think we look at the difficulties we are facing in life as God's way of punishing us for things we've done wrong. Anybody ever deal with that? Well, I must have done something wrong. I must have sinned. This is simply a consequence for my sin. And, and it's just this problem I'm facing. So I got to figure out what I did wrong so I can make it right, so I can get out of this problem I'm dealing with right now. And let me just say, there are probably times where what you're dealing with in life might be a consequence from a bad decision you made. I mean, there are times, like, when you're in Christ, he does save you from your, your sins, right? He paid the price from, for your eternal punishment, but there are still times we have to deal with the, the right here and now consequences of our mistakes. There are still times that, that we might have to deal with consequences, but not every time you have something going on in your life that's painful is, is, is God punishing you or allowing you to deal with the consequences of your sins. Sometimes, He's simply trying to work something in your life, or not even just your life. He's trying to work something for good in somebody else's life through your circumstance and through how you persevere in your circumstance. And so maybe the question we need to ask ourselves isn't, God, why are you doing this to me? God, how can I get out of this situation? Maybe the question we should ask ourselves is, God, how are you trying to transform my heart? And how can I align myself with your perspective so I can see whose life you're trying to impact through this problem? It's life-changing. It's perspective shifting. It changes everything when we begin to look at our problems from God's perspective, not our own. And we gotta remind ourselves what the Bible says in Romans 8, 28 when it says this. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. It doesn't say some things. It doesn't say every, every little, like, like some things in your life, little details. No, it says all things. God causes all all things to work together. He uses all things to work together in your life for your good and for the good of those around you who are called according to his purpose. We have to remind ourselves to have the right perspective when it comes to our problems. We need to have that godly perspective. The second thing we can see when it comes to experiencing unstoppable joy is we need to choose to never let others control our attitude. Never let others control my attitude. This one's really, really hard, isn't it? 
It's really, really hard to, to not allow other people to steal our joy and to control our attitude. It's so easily to get upset and offended by other people. All you have to do right now is go on Facebook during political season, and you will easily dislike half of your friends list. And you'll be really easy in those moments to want to type something in response to somebody because you're justified and you need to defend it. And the Holy Spirit is your spiritual backspace. And he's trying to, like, no, 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 no. How many of you have had to do that during this season in your life? Don't say it. Don't type it. It's not worth the argument. It's not worth losing, losing friends. How many of you would be honest and say it's easy at times to allow people to steal your joy and to control your attitude? like they have headspace, right, that they haven't paid rent for. They're stealing your joy. We need to be careful that we don't let other people control our attitude. You know, Paul, he had people in his life that were trying to steal his joy too, and it wasn't just in this situation. But we read about it. After saying these people are preaching boldly, it's emboldened these Christians to preach the gospel. What does he say in verse 15 through 17? He says, to be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking, not sincerely thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. So here's Paul in prison. He's dealing with people who are trying to steal his joy. He says, yeah, sure, there's some of them that are preaching out of a sincere heart. They're preaching because they know that I'm not in prison for doing anything wrong. They're emboldened to preach the gospel, right? because they love me and they just wanna see God's kingdom advance. But he says, but there's other people. There's some other people that are preaching and they're preaching from selfish hearts and they're preaching from competitive hearts and they're preaching to build their own platform and they see an opportunity while I'm in prison to take, to take a platform and, to, and to, to kind of weave themselves in there and build their own type of, of platform and they're doing it from the wrong place. And it would have been really easy for Paul at that time to feel like he needed to, to, to fight his battle, so to speak. He needed to defend himself. He needed to speak out against these people, tell them what they were doing is wrong. But what do we see his responses in verse 18? What's his attitude? I love this verse. His attitude in verse 18 says, what does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I will rejoice. yes and I will continue to rejoice. He says, look, there is people that are, are trying to harm me, trying to speak bad about me, but at the end of the day, they're preaching God's word, his kingdom is advancing, so I'm not gonna focus on my attitude and what they're trying to steal and hurt in my life, I'm simply gonna focus on the fact that the gospel is advancing, and I will rejoice in the gospel advancing, and I will continue to rejoice even when I continue to hear reports of these people and how they're speaking against me. Come on, how many of you know that in your life there's always gonna be those types of people? Sure, we have the comrades, right? The core, those, those inner circle of people in our lives who are on our team. We need people like that in our lives. You need people who are, who are for you, who will encourage you, who will build you up. But we also have those other people in our lives at times, those critics, those conspirators, those competitors, those people that are constantly trying to steal our, our joy. And here's what I think. We choose, like Paul, to rejoice, right? 
Because when we don't do that and we don't focus on, 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 on God in the midst of that and we, don't cho- and we choose to allow them to, to have that headspace and we choose to allow them to control our attitude, what we're basically saying is that their approval for us matters more than God's approval for us. And can I just say this? If you live for somebody's approval, you're gonna die by their criticisms. If you live simply for their approval, if you live for what they think about you, you're gonna die by their criticisms. Or I had a pastor say this, and he was one of my, my mentors growing up. He used to say this to me. He says, listen, if, if all you do is try to compare, if your whole life is about comparing yourself to other people or competing, he said, listen, if you compare and compete, you live in defeat. And I could remember it because it's like Dr. Seuss and it rhymes, right? So if you compare and you compete, you'll live in defeat. It's true. When you live a life of simply comparing yourself to others and competing with others, or, or, or if you are, are you built up or crushed by people's, by people's criticism, you'll never be who God has called you to be. In fact, Paul said it like this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would never be Christ's servant. It's impossible to live for people's approval and God's approval at the same time. So you gotta choose which one's more important to you. And who you choose in that really matters because when you choose to live for people's approval, those people will constantly steal your joy. Your attitude will constantly be controlled by by others. And we also have to remember what Jesus said when people speak bad about us. And in Matthew chapter five, this is what he says our attitude should be when it comes to the, the things that people say negatively about us, right? Matthew chapter five, verses 11 through 12, he says, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things about you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. How many of you, that's your go-to response? Any of I wanna hang out with you. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. Since you're not living for this life anyway. So don't focus on the reward you have here. Focus on what it is earning for you and building for you in eternity. Number three, another thing we can see with Paul when it comes to having unstoppable joy is this. We need to trust that God is working all things out. Trust that God is working all things out. Paul made the decision that no matter what would happen to him in his life, that he was going to live a life that brings honor to Jesus. That was his ultimate goal, his ultimate desire. And he had complete trust because of that, that God was in control and that he was working all things for good in and through his life. He says it like this in verse 19 through 20. Because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Come on, those are some, some faith-filled words that he's speaking in that moment. Paul trusted God completely. He was in prison in this moment. He was facing, about to face trial, waiting this trial before Caesar, and Paul had this confidence that he was right in the middle of God's will, even in that situation right in the middle of God's will in that situation. That God wasn't putting him in prison or allowing him to be in prison to punish him. He wasn't punishing him for something he had done wrong. He was there for a reason and he completely trusted that God was in control and that God was working. I like those words he says. He says, I have an eager expectation and hope. Eager expectation and hope. 
right? Those are, are powerful. Again, faith-filled words, trusting that God is in control, that he can save me and he can deliver me, right? He is able to do all those things, but ultimately, his prayer wasn't that he would just be saved. His prayer was that he would have courage and that he wouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. I wanna have courage so that I'm not ashamed, so that I'm not ashamed of who Jesus is and what he's done in my life, that Christ would, again, be honored through him, whether in life or by death. In those last words, he said, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or, or death. Those are, again, really, really powerful words because it, it shows who Paul was. It shows what was most important. He didn't live to preserve his life or to promote his own life. He simply lived to glorify Jesus Christ. Essentially what he was saying in that last verse is listen, if, if Jesus decides that the best way for my life to bring glory to God is through laying down my life, through dying, then I will gladly do that. I will gladly live my life and die to bring glory to Jesus. If that's his choice, that's not what I want. It's not my first choice, but if that is his choice and that is his way of my life bringing glory, then I will gladly, in life or in death, all I care about is simply living my life to honor Jesus. Which leads to the fourth thing we can see when it comes to unstoppable joy, and that's this. We need to focus on your purpose, not on your problems. We're gonna see this in Paul's life. Focus on your purpose, not on your problems. Paul didn't deny that he had problems. He didn't deny that he was in prison. He just chose not to focus on the problems. It's not like Paul was like, you know what I'm just gonna do? I'm just gonna pretend like this prison cell is like a tropical oasis. I'm just gonna use my, my mind. I'm gonna have willpower and mind power and positive thinking. I'm just gonna imagine, um, you know, I'm on an island and things are really, really good and I'm just gonna I'm willpower my way out of this situation. It's not like he was denying what was going on. He just chose to focus more on his purpose then he chose to focus on his problems because what you focus on is what gets amplified in your life, right? What you focus on is what is the biggest and the most amplified thing in your, your life. This wasn't Paul's first rodeo when it came to prison. In fact, when he started the church of Philippi, we read about it in Acts chapter 16, uh, he had another experience with jail. Again, being jailed for preaching the gospel. Him and Silas were in, in jail. In, in Acts chapter 16, you read about all the start of this, this church in Philippians, but he's in jail for preaching the gospel. He's probably tired. Most of us would be tired. He's in the inner jail cell. It's damp. It's cold. He's chained to Silas. I mean, they could have, again, started complaining. They could have started getting mad. But what does the Bible say they're doing in this moment? They're worshiping right? They're making a joyful noise to the Lord like Pastor Mike last week, right? They are worshiping in the midst of their, of their trials. And it doesn't even matter what's going on. They just continue to worship and to sing. And what happens when they worship in the midst of their trials, in the midst of their, their pain? The, the, the Bible says that there's an earthquake and that their chains are broken off of their hands. The prison doors are, are opened and they're freed, but they don't leave. They stay in the prison. They don't just escape. And that's a testimony to the prison guard. And the Bible says that the prison guard and all of his family become followers of Christ and are baptized. And that prison guard and his family and Lydia, who we met, earl who we meet earlier in chapter 16 of Acts, are the, are the starters, the original people that started the church in Philippi through Paul. Why? Because he chose to worship in the midst of his trials and circumstances, not complain. He didn't focus on his, 
his problems, he continued to focus on his purpose and his God. See, for, for many of us, the reason we feel so overwhelmed is what we do is we continue to just focus on our problems all the time. We continue to remind ourselves how big our problems are instead of how big our God is in spite of our problems. And in the midst of, there's something powerful when you're dealing with a lot of problems in your life, when you choose not to focus and amplify those problems, but you choose to amplify and focus and worship Jesus because he's still good in the midst of your problems. He's still good in a prison cell. He's still good when things are, 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 are feel out of control in your life. He's still good, and he's still worthy to prove. Some of you, you need to learn. This is so important for you. If you would just learn to worship God in the middle of your storm, if you would just choose to focus not just on your problems but on your purpose in the middle of your storms, it would change everything when it comes to experiencing unstoppable joy. And we see this playing out in Paul's life. This time it doesn't lead to his freedom from prison. But it says this, and, and this is, if I'm honest with you, it's probably one of my favorite verses in Philippians since, since I was a teenager. This has been one of my favorite verses and, and probably some of the most challenging words in Philippians. In the next few verses, 21 through 26, he says this, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ will abound. To live is Christ. My entire life is about Christ. My life's purpose is God's glory. I love what he says, right? He's saying, listen, I'd, I'd like to die. I'd be okay with that. Like dying would be, would be an, a, a good option right now. I'm sick of being in prison. I'm sick of all of the battles that I've had. I'm sick of the battles with sin and temptation that he talks about, uh, when, with the struggle that's go, that goes on in his life. I, I, it'd be easier to just die and be with Jesus. I could be with him perfectly. I wouldn't have to deal with any of that garbage anymore in my lives. But then what does he say? He says, but I think for your sake, it's better that I keep pushing on. He's not even focused about himself when he's in this prison. He's focused on the church. He's focused on encouraging them and building up. He says, I'd rather go because it'd be better for me, but staying is better for you. It's more beneficial for you. So I'm gonna press on. I'm, I'm, I'm determined that I'm gonna continue to press on for your sake, for your benefit. Because I'm not just focused on myself. I'm focused on what God wants to do in and through my life. That's what he's saying in that portion of scripture, and it's powerful, and can I be honest with you, it's so much easier to focus on our problems than it is to focus on our purpose. It's so much easier in our lives to focus on the problems and the purpose, but there's something powerful and perspective changing that happens when we choose to focus on our purpose, which is ultimately living our lives to bring glory to Jesus. If you're a follower of Christ, that is your life's purpose. You wanna know what you exist for? That is it, for your life to bring glory to Jesus. I heard somebody say it like this before we move on to the last point. It's really, really important. How you fill in that blank is really, really important, right? For me to live is blank. How you choose to fill in that blank is really, really, really important. Some of us, we fill in that blank with many other things. For me to live is to be successful. For me to live is to, to have a lot of money and to, to be affluent. For me to live 
is to, to have a good job and to go to a good college, all these different, for me to live is we, we focus, however you fill in that blank, however you, whatever you choose to put in that, that blank will determine your level of joy. If you live for, for just having more money, guess what? That's like that carrot in front of you that just keeps moving, you'll never have enough. If that's what brings you joy, your joy will never be unstoppable, it'll always have a limit. Whatever you, you, you choose to put in that blank determines Determines your level of joy. Determines your level of joy. For me to live is Christ. If for me to live isn't Christ, if Christ isn't what we use to fill in that blank, can I tell you something? Then to die isn't gain. What Paul said there, he was saying for real, he said, my life is about Christ. And so if I die, when I die, it's simply a gain because I step into perfection, I step into eternity. But if to live isn't Christ, then to die isn't gain. Do you understand that? If your life isn't about Jesus, then this is the closest to heaven we experience, which 2020 should tell you, it's not that great. But if we live for Christ, the Bible says, if we, if we are devoted to him, if our lives are about him and his glory, then to die is gain. Then when we cross that finish line, we step into eternity, we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. To live is Christ and to die is gain. I like how Paul says it in Acts 20, 24, before we move to the last point. He says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Listen, I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like that should be all of our lives. That should be all of our understanding when it comes to our life. My life is nothing if I don't do what God has called me to do. My life is nothing if I don't live it the way that God wants me to live it. My life is nothing if my life is not a worship to the Lord. My life is nothing if my life isn't lived for the purpose of glorifying Jesus. Every single one of us is followers of Christ. That should be our prayer and our desire. Then the last thing we see when it comes to experiencing unstoppable joy as we close today is we simply gotta choose to remain in Jesus. Now, Paul doesn't necessarily talk about this one, but when we look at Paul's life, we know this to be true. We know this to be true about his life because his constant desire was simply, the Bible says, to know Christ and Christ only. That's all he, he wanted. Remaining in Jesus is really the key. In fact, I would say this, this key more than any other key is absolutely the most important. Without this one, none of the other ones really matter. Remaining in, in Jesus is vital if you're going to experience an unstoppable joy. In, in John chapter 15, I wanna close with this last portion of scripture. In John chapter 15, Jesus talks about this. He talks about the type of relationship that, that he desires to have with us, that we need to have with him if we're going to experience joy and if we're gonna be fruitful. In John chapter 15, verses seven through 11, he says this, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted for you. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. How do you remain in God's love? It says, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and I remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Your joy will overflow. I've told you this. I've instructed you what it looks like so that you will experience an overflowing joy in your life. How many of you would say that you need that overflowing joy in your life? You need that overflowing joy in the midst of unspeakable things, in the midst of terrible things. You, you wanna have that joy that just overflows in your, your life. Well, the key is remaining in Jesus. 
It's that constant connection. The Bible says apart from him, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, you produce no fruit that has eternal value. Apart from Jesus, you cannot do it on your own. You want your life to matter. You want to experience that. He says, remain in me. Abide in me. Stay connected to the vine. Just as a branch cannot be fruitful apart from that connection, so your life will never be fruitful apart from Jesus. And can I tell you something? We never grow past that. It's not like you go, I've been a Christian for a long time. I've figured it out on my own. I do it on my own now. I'm, I'm right with God on my own. No, you never get beyond that. Jesus is the source of connection. It will never change. Anytime you try to grow past that, try to get there on your own, you've stepped into religion and it's not a good place to be. Remain in him. Would you stand with me as we close this morning? We're gonna close with worship. We can't experience this unstoppable love this unstoppable joy in our lives without, without first surrendering our lives to Jesus. And as we do every single week, I wanna, I wanna give us an opportunity today. Because maybe you're in here today and you are tired and you are weary and maybe you've been trying to, to fill in that blank with many other things, but it's never giving you what you're looking for. It's never giving you that joy that, that only can be found in Jesus. And today, today that first step for you is simply to surrender your life to Jesus, to allow yourself to be connected to the source of joy. Remain in me, abide in me, grow close to Jesus, surrender your heart to him, submit your heart to him. It's not by you fixing yourself up or making yourself worthy. We try that. If I just clean myself up, if I just make myself worthy to God, then he'll accept me. No, 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 no. You could never clean yourself up to make yourself acceptable. Jesus did it for you. And when God looks at you, when you're in Christ, he doesn't see your mistakes, your failures. He sees Jesus' perfection in your place for your sins. And the way that starts is by praying some magical prayer. The way that starts is by simply choosing to be a follower of Christ. The Bible says repenting of your sin, repenting of trying to do it on your own, giving your life to Christ, trusting that he is doing something that only he can do in your life. And so if you're in here today and you don't yet know Jesus, today's that day. Today's the day to start that relationship. So I'm gonna look around for a second and it's hard to see, but if you're in here today and you say, today's that day, I need to say yes to Jesus, would you just raise your hand so I know I'm praying with you today? I'm looking around for just a second. I'm gonna give a second for anybody to respond to that. If there's nobody in here today that would, that would say that that is you, or maybe you just didn't raise your hand, man, I just wanna encourage you to, as we close in worship today, as we pray, I want you just to, to give your life to Christ. I want you to just open your heart up to what he wants to do. Maybe you're in here and you are a follower of Christ, but if you're honest with yourselves, your joy is very much lacking in your life. And maybe it's lacking because when you look at all the things we talked about today and you look at all these areas, you would say, I fall short in many of these areas. I allow people to control my attitude. I, I, I'm focused on my own perspective and not God's perspective. I don't really trust him. I say I trust him, but I don't actually live my life like I trust him. I'm focused on my problems and not on on my purpose, or, or maybe you just realize that you're not remaining in Jesus. It's so easy to, if we're honest with ourselves at times, to just go, I, I got this on my own. And a lot of times when that happens, the Lord just kind of allows us to, to get to a place where we remember that we can't do anything without Jesus. And so maybe today as we worship and you're in here and you're a follower of Christ, maybe you realize that your joy is constantly being stolen. You're constantly angry and frustrated. And you, look, the world is watching how you respond to your trials in your life. And it's either pointing them towards your hope that's in Jesus or pointing them away from the hope that you're supposed to have in Jesus. 
So maybe today, if you're feeling overwhelmed and you know Jesus, but you're not living with the joy that he wants you to live, I want to just encourage you as we close in worship to just worship him with everything you have. Resurrender your heart. Resubmit your heart to him today. God, I trust you. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, your word is challenging for us. It is encouraging for us. And God, I pray today that that every single one of us, Lord, we would have the type of joy that you want us to have in the midst of every single problem and obstacle in our lives, Lord. We would have an unstoppable joy. So God, today I, I pray that you would just work in our lives, Lord, that you would convict us of areas where we are not walking the way we should walk in relationship to you. Lord, conviction is a good thing because ultimately it's drawing us back to you. So I pray for no condemnation today, but I pray for your conviction of the Holy Spirit that draws us back into relationship with you for every single person in this room, that we would experience unstoppable joy that is only found by remaining in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.